RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The time is 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on a Tuesday night. The place, I don't know where you are. Why are you asking me? And the show is Mission Log Live. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log Live, you, yes, you are the star. You call us, you chime in with your questions and comments. And tonight, is there a doctor in the house? Well, yeah, here's your own Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek, the one who knows Trek from the inside out. Larry just wrapped up season one of a little show called The Trek Files, another show on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Tonight, we'll talk about some of the biggest surprises from season one and what's on tap for season two. Plus, con season is upon us. We'll talk plans for Comic-Con and Star Trek Las Vegas, 30 days and counting. Except for counting, because I think it's less than 30 days. The other thing we'll talk about is whatever you want to talk about. See, the thing is, you have to let us know what that is. There are a few ways to do that. You can click on the link to join our Zoom meeting, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. You can even call us the old-fashioned way. Dial us up at 646-558-8656 and enter the meeting code you'll find in the show description and the comments. Thank you to everyone who is joining us as the show happens on Facebook or YouTube. And thank you to everybody who's catching the video later on Facebook and YouTube. And finally, you people just listening, you people are just great. Chances are you found the audio of this show in its very own podcast feed. Now, for those of you who have not, just search for Mission Log Live wherever you get podcasts or make it easy. Go to podcast.roddenberry.com where you will find links to all of our shows, Mission Log, Mission Log Live, The Track Files, Women at Warp, and Priority One. And we do have one last request. Love us. Take us into your heart and then tell people about it. I mean, just like us, you know, if love is too strong, that's fine. Uh, Wherever and whenever you are consuming this show, if you would head to that source, hit like, hit share, because more people playing along means more people playing along oh oh oh, ken i got this speaking of playing along look at you yeah a little bit of business to take care of before we introduce our guest trek trivia on the bridge so we want to encourage everyone to join us on the bridge at sansar.com this thursday night july 5th at 7 p.m there will be trivia there will be prizes there will be fun i'm told So 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, you can go to events.sansar.com to get the full scoop. You can join us from your PC or in VR, and we'll have our VR avatars, who are are very attractive, I might add. Uh, We'll have our (laughs) VR avatars for a few rounds of questions. You'll be there, too. All you have to do is sign up at sansar.com and look at their events page. Uh, By the way, free shirts in the sense yeah totally shirts yes they've had roddenberry shirts for a while now but if you want to show your love specifically for mission logging it which i guess is what we do now go to sensar go to the store in sensar grab a shirt because as john mentioned free a bargain (laughs) at twice the price honestly so how can you go wrong i'm pretty sure you can't Ken, now's the point where we would normally jump over to the poll, but I I have to say hi to all these people who are saying hi to us in the Facebook live stream right now. You have Elizabeth, Joe, Josh, Aaron, Carol, uh, our very own Tracy Lee Coco. Always a pleasure to see Lieutenant Jay hanging out in the chat. Brett saying, oh, I thought you meant con season. Well, maybe we did. Uh, Tim saying he's excited for this episode and uh, Mike saying hi, Meredith, William, uh, just so many people and Homer saying yes, Dr. Trek. A lot of people excited to see our guest on tonight. But before we get to our guest, Ken, if you would, please tell us about the poll last week before we get into this. Uh, Last week, the question was, do you follow Star Trek rumors? And it's almost 50-50. It's not quite 50-50 because we're advanced enough to be able to do, you know, smaller numbers than that or (laughs) slightly bigger and slightly smaller. Uh, 52% of respondents said, yes, they do follow Star Trek rumors. 48% said, no, they do not follow Star Trek rumors. So that's 
almost as close to 50-50 as you can get without being 50-50. It's not quite as close as you can get without being 50-50, but almost. Hmm. So close. And uh, by the way, somebody uh, just asked, uh, they, they thought that we were going to be off for 4th of July, uh, saying that glad to be seeing Mission Log live tonight. And uh, you, you're right that we are taking part of the week off. There won't be a regular Mission Log on this Thursday, the 5th. So he, here we are, our last hurrah before the holiday. So um, we will see you with the regular Mission Log a week from this Thursday. But we'll so, see you with the next mission log live before that. But we will. We will. And yeah. yeah. So it's, it's almost like we're not taking any time off except for that, that other show, that not yeah. live show. Right. That, uh, you. So I, I want to bring in our guest a little bit early tonight because we got a comment from Mark on Twitter that actually inspired tonight's poll question. Mark from Twitter said, I hope there's some Harlan talk tonight. And, of course, he can only mean one Harlan, Harlan Ellison, who had just passed away a few days ago. A lot of people talking about that online. And uh, that inspired the poll question. City on the Edge of Forever. Best Star Trek episode ever or greatest Star Trek episode ever? (laughs) I think it's pretty nice. And actually, J.R., who commented on that poll, said, lovely tribute. Thank you for this, Ken and John. P.S., Major tangent here, but have you guys ever been called Ken and Ray? I sometimes accidentally word you that way. Yeah, my podcast is hosted by these two guys, Ken and Ray. Wait, that's not right. Apologies to John for that, even though Ken was totally right about first contact. Um, Yeah, boy, I don't don't think that's that's never happened before ever, has it, John? Okay, so except for these several hundred emails that start off, dear Ken and Ray. Uh, one of you is yeah. totally wrong about something. Yeah. Uh, thank you, JR. But more to the point, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of our tribute to Harlan Ellison tonight. Uh, that was a, a very funny poll question, uh, Ken, that you came up with. And, and what better time to bring in our guest, Larry Nemechek, to, to comment about that. Larry, are you there, Dr. Trek? I'm trying to be me. Are you getting me? Yeah, you're right there. Okay, right. here we are. Bang. Right out of Truckland, yeah. as we say. Yeah. Yeah. So a uh, lot of attention around Harlan Ellison's passing. And, uh, and of course, he's, he's best known, I, I think, to Star Trek fans, obviously, for the person who wrote the original draft of mm-hmm. City on Forever that then became something very different when it was filmed for television. <laughs> uh, any thoughts about that? Any comments about that? Oh, well, about Harlan. Wow. Um, I, I am a person who did not read every word Harlan wrote, but I know of his reputation. I didn't you know, I grew up in um, in flyover country, <laughs> so I didn't have uh, the luxury of being able to drop into a New York or an L.A. con and see Harlan in his prime, but got to talk to him a little bit since then, not a formal interview. But, uh, yeah, the saga of Harlan and, and know that he has a, a great reputation for all the the book demon with the glass hand a lot of his script writing uh, across the board it's short stories and essays too pretty radical thinker his very famous uh, uh appearance alongside tom snyder's old tomorrow show from 76 that's a classic mm-hmm. it's on youtube now where he's got d and jimmy and um and Walter there and, and al schuster from the early new york cons and they're all talking about this crazy young Star Trek phenomenon, and he's on with it until he goes back into his city rant, and he's right there with all the Trek people and, and going on about it. I mean, he was he was pretty fearless, and you know, age dimmed him a little bit. But my my best personal memory, and I, there are not a lot of them. Many people have better ones. My best personal memory of Harlan is uh, at the during the writer strike in '07. And they were having theme days, and and Ron Moore started this with a Battlestar, but there was a theme day of picketing. Uh, for anybody associated with Star Trek out in front of the Paramount gates. And it wasn't directed at Paramount. It was part of the overall writer strike. And here you had people from every era of Star Trek out picketing in front. And I've got, you know, we've picked, it was the old Star Trek.com. We covered it as a new story. And I've got one of Harlan there out picketing with his own sign. Uh, and I forget who it was that was the head of the producers union at the time, but basically it's so-and-so sleeps with the fishes was his, 
<laughs> was his sign. So it was like, here's Harlan, you know, that was just 10 years ago out uh, picketing and, you know, the, um, the raconteur, <laughs> the, uh, you know, uh, Star Trek's grand old uh, man there of uh, saying his piece, saying his mind was at it. And uh, yeah, I got to talk to him a little bit then, but never got to, unfortunately, never got to do a sit down, sit down with him. I, I have to say that he, he's somebody who um, I think I would be a bit intimidated by. I never actually met him. Um, and and my uh, obviously he, he wrote so much. But but in my head, the association of Star Trek and, of course, the saga of sitting on the edge of forever. When Ken and I talked about that on Mission Log. We did talk about the the behind the scenes drama around that. I would still stand by the idea that the Star Trek episode as filmed is better than the script that he intended. And that that's in part due to Gene Roddenberry. It's in part due to Bob Jessman, uh, to Gene Kuhn, to everybody who kind of reshaped that story into what was filmed. Then as Ken and I were talking about this before the show, Ken reminded me, we didn't actually meet Harlan, but we were in sort of orbit of Harlan uh-huh. for a moment. Ken, you, you can uh, you, you can relay that story if you like. Why do I have to tell this story? It's a t- I, mean, I mean, he kept us off stage. That's pretty much it. There was one thing. The one time that we had been on a stage bigger than the D. Kelly stage at STLV. Um, I don't even know how it happened or why it happened. I think it might have been our, our second panel ever. And somehow we were in the big hall at Star Trek Las Vegas. And we were supposed to go on at, uh, I don't remember, 40 past the hour, I think, and then 45 past the hour. And then <laughs> past the hour, I think we were finally getting ready to go on stage because uh, ahead of us was, uh, was Harlan Ellison being interviewed, I want to say, by Adam, maybe. Because yeah. the thing is, after us, uh, it was Harlan and Walter. And, and of course, it, once he got back on stage, he wasn't leaving again until uh, Marina came out. Marina Sirtis came out. He just very dramatically walked onto the stage, looked at the two of them and went... <laughs> and then walk back off the stage, which he didn't seem happy which, about. Here's what I will you, say. What and, you can and, do if you're part Betazoid. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Well, but, but, you but, but, right, right. I mean, it's really how it Exactly. Goes. That's what I mean. Right. Yeah. Not, uh, not I mean, for you two to do. The, the one thing I will say is, I mean, you're talking about a sizable personality. Uh, can anybody name anything else that as famously did not go the way a writer wanted? I'm thinking the Bible. <laughs> and so, you know, it might be it i mean it's um uh, it's 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 I, I will fully confess it's one of those things where now that now that this person's gone i'm like wow there is so much i actually don't know so mm-hmm. that'll probably be me over the next few weeks but Wait, well, and, and there's a there's a tiny bit of that story though that I, I love to tell which is that as you and i were so excited to be backstage our first and only time on the main stage at stlv clearly an administrative error uh, there's no reason that we should have been there. <laughs> waiting for watching and, and there's Harlan and Walter on stage together. There's chatting and chatting. They do not care how much time that's taking up. And I looked over at Ken and said, um, should one of us go out there and tell Harlan Ellison that Gene Roddenberry's son really needs him to get off stage now so we can do our thing? Um, I just, you know, I, I thought it would be the perfect bookend to his career, you know? Yeah. We elected, we elected to not do that. We elected to stand by, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, avert eye contact uh, when they came back on. All right. So listen, you guys, I know uh, you guys have both been involved with the track files, although Larry, I mean, Larry, the track files is, is, is your show, uh, which, which we're so happy to have on the Roddenberry podcast network. You just wrapped season one. And so that's what, 23, 24 episodes? 24. We're, we are now equivalent of the, uh, the animated series, I believe. Um, <laughs> Surpassed? Was that, or was that 22? Yeah, yeah. I, always get the, I always want to round it off. It was actually 22. Don't write now. I do know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that was, and I will give dibs to uh, John when, we, when uh, John and Rod approached me about doing the show, which I love the concept of. I hadn't planned on it, but I immediately was there. Built into that was um, the sanity break which I noticed uh, you all follow as well. 
of taking a two week off and having it broken into seasons and talk about the show in terms of seasons. And well, because, uh, uh, hang on, yes. because there are going to be some people who are listening who actually have not uh, had a chance to check out the show yet. What is the premise of the show? The premise of the show, the Trek files is literally that we are diving into with the cooperation of Rod and the family diving into Gene's uh, papers, basically uh, not just scripts and memos, but also letters, letters, to Gene, memos to Gene, memos from Gene and letters, uh, all kinds of, of big and little so- topics, um, something where Gene is a sidebar. <laughs> it's passing in the night. I think our most our, our biggest find, which I said over and over again, dropped my job when we found it, was the would be 1986 premise for the next generation in case Gene did not want to come back and be hands on. Studio was ready to go with the with the next with a next generation air quotes. Uh, show and he said, "Oh no no no! I'm going to come back and do this." And spent the last, you know, three four five years of his life working on it. Instead, um, we've had we've broken some actual news that I've been proud to say with that. But yes, the special special thing here is it's in cooperation with with Rod and the family, and we are pulling as fast as we can get them and scan them, pulling papers out that um, no one has seen yet, papers and documents and artwork. We're even doing uh, bits and pieces that we've had. Um, Andy, excuse me, Andrew Probert talking about some artwork he did from uh, the motion picture era. So um, my one worry at the beginning was that we would run out of cool secret or not secret, just unaired files. And that's that's not happening. The further we dig, we've got plenty to last us for a good long time and across all eras, too. Um, you'd think, well, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and then Gene died in 91. But part of the fun is also finding things that speak to the modern age, including the time we found the memo from David Gerald, early next gen talking about uh, how, what folly it is to have the Federation show up and say, we come in peace and how an alien race might take that. And it just spoke right to the pilot for discovery. So um, it's amazing. It's a lot of fun. They're short, short bites and um, everyone seemed to enjoy it so far. We have a lot of fun and the guests, the guests that we're able to have too. I want to remind people, if you have a question for Larry, either about something that you saw in the track files or just, you know, sort of general Star Trek stuff. Um, if you have a different memory of Harlan that you would like to share as well. I mean, honestly, the reason we come in and do this show live when we do come in and do the show live is so we can hear from you as well. So a reminder that you can join the um, Zoom meeting just by clicking the link to do that. Or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. And you can call us 646-558-8656, 646-558-8656. So uh, remind people again, for people who have not seen or have not heard the episode, you're saying the thing that was the most jaw-dropping to you was the possibility of a next gen without Gene Roddenberry. Um, you broke news there. Can you recap it for us here and maybe entice people back over to the show? Oh, wow. I've got to remember it. What was amazing about it was not only that it existed, but there were so many similarities to even, again, echoes of of discovery. You've got to put your mindset back in 1986. Star Trek four had just come out, but all all there was to Star Trek, there was no bloody A, B, C or D at the time. (laughs) It was just the three series, the animateds and the first four movies. And the first four movie hadn't even been out to the public yet. Uh, It was very. You know, you had humans, Klingons, Vulcans, Romulans was about it. And this was the premise is comes at the end of a 10 year Federation Klingon war when there are desperate attempts to make peace. But it all revolves around this secret armistice document on a file that a secret Klingon emissary is um, is supposed to get to Kronos with on a Starfleet ship. And the captain, who is a Vulcan of the Enterprise of this time, um, no, not the Enterprise, the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Um, captain Roan. Captain Roan, thank you. Uh, he's uh, killed along the way. His first officer is an up-and-coming young human captain whose parents were killed by Klingons in a raid when he was younger. Stop me if you've heard this before. <laughs> and uh, But this is, again, 86, before before Worf, before Michael Burnham. Um, uh, yeah, it was, it, there was just so many parallels. Anyway, the, the, the Vulcan captain not only is killed in a, in, a, in a battle along the way, but his essence is put into a computer a, a la the EMH. Uh, I don't know about a hologram at the time. Would have been hard to do, maybe. But... Uh, 
he lives on. The captain's promoted, and and we have um, a cadets. The ship is a cadet ship that's pressed into service during the war. So you have a little uh, below decks. You have a little um, uh, a bit of the DS Nine episode uh, where that happens. Yeah, and then the, the other fun part was the descriptions. Oh, and the Romulans are sitting on the side kind of watching what happens, and they're trying to sabotage this big Federation Klingon detente if it happens. But it's all about getting this Klingon messenger to Kronos with a piece of paper. Meanwhile, you've got the descriptions of all the female characters who are, you know, painfully beautiful. <laughs> uh, it was that, That's the part that really dates it. Um, the alien to be developed later, which is a Star Trek staple. You know, let's not name his race until the second episode. Uh, anyway, it was just amazing. It was just amazing. And no one had a clue. The small cadre of writers, Greg Strangis, uh, Rick Berman was on the circle of that uh, memo when he was still a VP for, for long form projects at Paramount uh, and John Pike um, representing Paramount. We don't have a copy of, you know, Gene's response, <laughs> but he was very graciously sent this for his comment. And we don't know if he sent a, you know, a nuts to you McAuliffe type thing where we're to battle the bulge or whether it was a hell no or, or what it was, but obviously the well, proof is in the pudding history there. He did not say, me, but let the response. Lie. The response apparently was Star Trek The Next Generation. I mean, well, the response right. apparently right. is, all right, I'm up, I'm up, I'm up. There you it go. Like, yeah. Yeah, it, oh, was, we, it was amazing. Yeah, John, you, you helped me. You, uh, we're, I'm remembering off the top of my head here, but it, it made such an impact. There were a lot of those things that are very vivid. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit the major points. And, and what was interesting is uh, inferring the things that were not on the page. So you can just sort of picture Gene Roddenberry's office getting this and, and thinking, uh, no, 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 I need to be in a meeting right now and sort of stake my claim over Star Trek and make it my own so they don't produce this. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the other thing that we see throughout the documents, even just the, the little slice that we've looked at now yeah. That was episode four, by the way. I was just checking here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, far back. Just even the little slice of documents that we've looked at now, um, you, can, you can sort of make a case that Gene was not always the best steward of Star Trek. There are certain decisions that, that he finds so horrifying, like the, the fact that Scotty would play bagpipes at Spock's funeral. He just thinks this is terrible and it will make the audience howl with laughter and they will give up on Star Trek from that point on. So it's interesting to see you really uh, make a point for the collaborative effort that is Star Trek for the number of good ideas that get uh, tossed in, that get debated, that get argued over and that the best ones hopefully rise to the top to make the final show. Um, one thing that I did mm-hmm. want to point out, we had a, a comment here from Tim. He asked a question of you, Larry. He says, is there anything specific you're hoping to find in the archives, such as an answer to something you've always wondered about? Uh, you know, those, some of those points are coming to the fore lately. I mean, we have several, we have several broad categories. Um, the two movie projects in the 70s that didn't happen, one Gene was part of that has now come to be called The God Thing. The other one that he was not a part of that we've kind of dipped our toe in the water about with our Jerry Eisenberg. Hello. Welcome to the franchise secretly memo, uh, which was wound up being called Planet of the Titans, which likewise didn't happen. Uh, But things about the animated series lead in and exactly what the evolution of that idea was and how early it began. Early attempts at a movie. uh, Some of Gene's pilots, he tried to um, tried to get off the ground that he did, you know, uh, 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 planet earth um uh and and things before star trek the lieutenant chiefly that launched his desire to do science fiction as a way to tell the adult stories with messages morals and meanings that he wanted to do uh if he had purple people and polka dotted animals and space and rocket ships doing it but we even had that letter from 1959 as our um <laughs> as our closer which you know i would i don't know how much of those early early documents when, uh, as someone pointed out today, the, the address, which I overlooked, uh, Gene lived on Norway Street. And I'm like, oh, someone said, there's Norway Productions. In 1959, he lived. Um, that, that's one of my all favorite, the different eras. Yeah, yes. that, that's one of my favorite documents that, that we've posted is the season finale that went out today, episode yes. 24. Yeah, a letter from it. 1959 from the American Baptist Convention 
praising Gene's work, spreading a Christian message through Have Gone, Will Travel. Mm -hmm. And we don't have Gene's response to that. We don't have any further commentary. We just have the letter. And you can only sit there and try to wonder what did Gene think when he got it? What would he have thought getting that letter 10 years later or 20 years later? Um, and and just sort of thinking about Gene's attempt to to explore and discuss aspects of morality and humanity in everything that he wrote after. So that was a fun one uh, that we we certainly did not expect to find. Uh, so it was a really good right. launching point to have a conversation about his writing. It, it's a good, it was a good uh, entree into remembering. Uh, among all that we just think of, you know, the 50s and 60s as the era of the Western. And if you were a creative writer, you were trying to find a niche and find, you know, you didn't just want cowboys and Indians or, or whatever gunfights every day. You were finding niches of that, which included everything from, you know, the wild, wild west to uh, have gun, real travel. He was a he was a hired gun. But it was a really good way to talk about morality. And he would find the, you know, maybe the it, maybe his. His uh, boss, the uh, person that hired him to do a job, was the corrupt cowboy or the corrupt town or the corrupt, you know, cavalry officer. And he was caught in the middle or it was they also used a lot of, uh, you know, they act, surprisingly, the, the show that he won the uh, Writers Guild Award for uh, was about an Armenian family. So there were a lot of, you know, racial tensions that were brought up, which is, again, we were talking about right down um, Gene's Alley. But I think the funniest was, as we pointed out, that you know, the, the winner the year before had been Hugh Beaumont uh, and Leave it to Beaver. Right. right. <laughs> so yeah. it's it was an interesting bit. But, um, yeah, very interesting to see uh, the, the kind of attraction that Have Gun Will Travel, why it was a top 10 show for seven years and the top five, I think, the first two or three years it was on. And uh, was an appeal to someone like And how many other Trek names to some degree, he he tied with the most episodes, like ten percent of the uh, twenty four of two twenty five. I think Ralph top my head, but you know uh, Gene Kuhn and several of the other writers that worked on Star Trek had written episodes for Have Gun back in that day. That was amazing so it, to, to open the door for all of that. was was a great way to a great thing to do for. Uh, I love doing that kind of Trek Files is so open ended that we can do that kind of thing. Had that spectrum. What's interesting to me is to hear you say that, I mean, long before Star Trek, these kinds of messages were coming up because a lot of times you will hear people say all the morality stuff, all the great bird of the galaxy stuff, all of this was stuff that Gene started to believe about himself between Star Trek and Star Trek, the motion picture when he was going to college campuses and people were wanting to touch the hem of his rope. Right. Mm -hmm. But what you're telling me, I mean, what, what you're saying is the kinds of things you're finding. I mean, you've got that through line from when he was writing, the Western all the way to when he was writing wagon train for the stars and beyond. Right. Him personally. I mean, as you started that, I also thought about how people tend to think about fifties and sixties television as, you know, very bland and very vanilla. And my God, a lot of it was, but there was still a reason why the hit shows were hits. Uh, Twilight zone was in there. Right. So, yeah. so, you know, good on, good on, um, Good on Have Gun, Will Travel, and Paladin. But yes, um, you know, part of the 70s, and then can we touch your robe, there was Gene was still having to pay his mortgage. And it was the irony, as the cast found, it was that irony of being these demigods now in the 70s, but having nothing to show for it because their, you know, one run and two reruns had long since been paid for. And, uh, you know, they, they'd got the check for those. And here they are walking around celebrated with nothing to show for it. So he's uh, he's in an angsty position to and it's not often that you you touch, you know, lightning in a bottle like that, that you touch gold. So he's in that position of, as we talk a lot about, about walking the line between moving on with new projects. But there was something different. This was not just another old dead show that was not worth revisiting as if you had nothing else in your life going on. Right. You're the 80 year old actor who's still signing at the signing shows because you had one hit role. Kind of a kind of a situation. So, Larry, um, do you uh, yeah. do you want to tease some of the stuff that we've got coming up for season two? Actually, wait, wait. I think no? we should okay. say, I think we should tease that we're Don't going to tease. Oh, oh coming we're going to tease the tease. See, exactly. But it's we like got tech a bunch the of tech, other. only different. Oh, that's so meta. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. Tease the Tease should be a T-shirt, although I'm not sure who would buy it. And if not they for would. the mission log shop. Yeah. We might have all the concrete right. skill for that one. Right. Yeah. All right. I want to remind people, though. So Larry Nemechek is here with us for just about another 30 minutes or so. If you have a question about any of the stuff that he's, you know, well, anything, anything Star Trek. I don't know if you've noticed, but Larry can talk about Star Trek. Uh, hit the Zoom link that's, you know, somewhere near this video that you're watching right now. You can use the one top phone from your smartphone or the one top form for your smartphone or you can call us 646-558-8656 that number again 646-558-8656 you can also participate in our poll city on the edge of forever best star trek episode ever or greatest star trek episode ever and finally john it's like you knew what was coming up you mentioned something about uh, about the mission log shop and shirts or something it's uh, it's because we've been working together for so long ken I can I can read your mind. I know yeah. where we've landed in the show. I know that we want to talk about some cool products. Yes, yes, because we've got a shop at uh, missionlogpodcast.com, uh, cleverly hidden under the word shop. So if you uh, you know are interested in shopping, uh, hitting the word shop might be the way to do that at missionlogpodcast.com. Uh, our friend Carl is just a really great designer. Uh, sometimes he hears things on the show that he thinks, oh, that'd be funny. And so he does something. Other times, John and I have an idea that we're thinking, oh, that would be funny. And so either Carl just sends us something out of the blue or we'll go to Carl and say, hey, can you can you put this on? I don't know. Could you put it on a shirt? Could you put it on a mug? Could you put it on a tapestry maybe? Do you know anybody who might be able to do that? And what you end up with is the stuff that we have in the shop at missionlogpodcast.com. Uh, tons of themes there. John, would you like to tell people uh, some of the designs they might find? I'd like to, but before I do that, I just want to mention that uh, when our technical director started running the video of the shop that is now airing under my voice, I realized that the first image coming up was uh, Dan Davidson from uh, Trek Geeks. And I believe Dan was watching the show tonight. So, hey, Dan, thanks for being part of our ad. <laughs> so some of those products you'll find have the uh, isolinear John and Ken Carbon Chauvinism, the Da Vinci version. You have our favorite lieutenant, my favorite lieutenant, your favorite lieutenant, Jay. She was just there watching the show with us tonight. Bonk, bonk on the head since 1966. You have the tribute to Nova Squadron. You got the Ditalics Mining Corporation. You have Cool as Kirk. You got Ethos, Pathos, Logos. And uh, we put up the new Silicon Supporter. We even put up the old favorite. Have a look at my robot guts. Yeah. So all kinds of stuff that you could, uh, that you could buy there and, uh, and, and show your love for really it's show your love for Star Trek, because I don't think anything actually says mission log on that. So if you're just looking for like some, some cool uh, stuff that sort of shows you're, you know, really nerdy, uh, but in a fun way, uh, missionlogpodcast.com and then click shop. Uh, we really should actually get in touch with Tracy and see if she's cool with the group photo. I don't know how many people have bought the Lieutenant J shirt. I don't know how many of those people are going to be at STLV, but I have this dream that a bunch of us are in Lieutenant J shirts standing around Lieutenant J getting our picture taken with all the Lieutenant J's probably more Lieutenant J's than have ever been in one place uh, before or ever will be again. Well, let's say I know that there's you. I know there's number one mission log live fan Meredith. Mm -hmm. And I know that there is Tracy Coco herself. So yes. You got at least three J shirts on at least three people, including the actual J. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm thinking it's probably going to be more than that. Probably more than that. Yeah. But you know what? That's a if good start just, though. That's a really good start. If it's just the three people and the four Lieutenant J's, that's, that's plenty. That's fine. That's great. So <laughs> anyway, missionlogpodcast.com slash shop. All right. So Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek is here with us. He of, of course, Portal 47, and uh, and most recently of the Trek Files, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Um, all right, you guys were about to tease people. I, I just have to say, I, you guys are sounding pretty scary there with your that Lieutenant Jay and, and Tracy uh, meetup. <laughs> like you're, you, you could almost you know, crack open the Lazarus magnetic corridor or something if you, if you went too far with that. But I'm willing to watch and see what happens. It's so much J. It's it's J on J. You, you can't. There's not too much J at any point. There. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, I guess it's a risk. It's a risk worth taking. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so, and risk is our business. So it is. It is. All right. So we, we teased the tease. So now it's time for the, <laughs> uh, the tech, the tech. Yeah. So let, yeah. let's talk about what's coming up. Yeah. This. What's coming up? Well, I mean, your questioner there had a, a lot of good. We're, we are going to deep dive as we do in Trekland Portal for Set. We're going to really deep dive into those two 70s movie projects that have had so many people mystified. And I'm hoping we can get some really interesting first time guests for the show because uh, there's, uh, you know, of all the Holy grails of Trek getting into those movies and seeing the, not just the movies because they existed in different Lord, did they exist in different versions and iterations and evolutions and the, and the conversations and memos back and forth. It's so much that we've somewhere between put it off because it's going to take so much time uh, and finally diving in, but we want to do it the right way and uh, give give our listeners a chance to catch in with the because it's so unknown that if we just dive into the middle, it's not going to have any reference. It won't have any context. So plotting out the God thing and Planet of the Titans is is a big part of season two. Um, not in a, not in a hardcore way, but we just want to make sure that our everybody lists, all the listeners can uh, can appreciate it the best way. But again, uh, some of Gene's older projects, as we can find the fragments for them and talk about again how that af- affected the original series and how it continues to affect Star Trek today. Uh, the animated. I've had people uh, talking to me about an animated. This may have been at the cusp of Gene's time. We'll get into plenty of next generation memos, both the, the early R&D and the first two or three years when Gene was active in giving notes. And Gene was very active in squashing ideas, even even if we get out of the chaos on the bridge time. And even as we get into Michael Pillar's first year or two of settling things down, Gene was still very active. Uh, the stories around Sarek and yesterday's Enterprise come to mind there. And the ongoing uh, debate about whether Kirk or Spock or anyone beyond McCoy would ever be part of the next gen, you know, from the original series, as well as that whole meme about, we can't repeat anything from the original series because this show has to stand on its own. And we immediately have, you know, the naked now. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about the movie stuff because there is so much that it really has to be sorted. Mm -hmm. It really has to be plotted out by us. Uh, The other thing uh, you mentioned, the Lieutenant earlier in the show about how there is right. Uh, uh, some emerging documents on that. And uh, th- there's some stuff between Gene and Sam Peoples that I really am anxious mm-hmm. to get to because they clearly had a friendship outside of their uh, work lives. And Sam seemed to be somebody that Gene was bouncing ideas off of. Right. Say so like, hey, how about this space show? There's, so, a real, there's a real college 2 a.m. dorm room kind of mentality to, to their back and forth. You know, like the close friend that you can trust and you know will not rip you off. Yeah, not take your idea and run off with it. Uh, And, you know, another aspect that we're just starting to get a glimpse of, but we have notes is, is we were laughing about earlier, the touch my robe guru (laughs) college speaking days as that grew. We have lots of genes remarks because then you get into culture. Um, you know, Gene's thoughts about uh, the emerging, the way media was headed. We've had a few, some of his thoughts that he wrote into, into forwards of some books that we we featured in some of our earliest episodes, but, uh, all of that in between time when he was busy trying to sell a new show, trying to figure out what the hell to do with this thing called Star Trek and how it was not fitting in a model that any other entertainment property had ever followed before and what to do with it. But, yeah, all those years of making speeches, not just at college, but at, at um, conventions and places where he was you know, asked to be a speaker. And that's all going to be fascinating to get into. All right, we, we put out the call for callers and uh, and callers called because, <laughs> no, it, it's fun when that happens. Uh, John is on uh, the phone. John is right there, but John is also on the phone. Good evening, John. Hey, I can. Hi, John. Hi, Larry. Hey, hey John. Cooley, how hey. You doing? How's it hey. going, man? It's good. It's good. Um, Larry, uh, I got to tell you, I've been listening religiously to Trek Files. I love it. Um, you you know that... Uh, religiously kind of or spiritually? <laughs> no, I'm... Both. <laughs> both. Both. They're separate things. Um, but I've been listening religiously, we'll say then, uh, since you premiered. Uh, of course, as a fellow, I guess, Star Trek archaeologist, I love the minutiae and I love how you've been diving into Gene's files. Um, as, as, when you had uh, Dorothy on, and she was revealing all that fantastic information about Una. 
mm-hmm. or number one. And that's now part of my own personal headcanon. I can't think of number one without thinking of, of her as the first of her species and, and, and of her generation. That's amazing stuff. And hopefully that filters into uh, discovery. By the way, Ted Sullivan, if you're listening, uh, talk to Larry about Una. Um, <laughs> uh, but one of the things that I, I wanted to know and <clears throat> insignias, uh, I suppose I would say you know, when you're finding when you're finding these memos from Gene or Bob or the other Gene or or anyone else, how do you rectify that sometimes with what we see on screen? Like like a key to a puzzle, like the Bob Justman memo. I love that, and it fills in a gap in my head canon. And yet, I gotta wonder sometimes that if I had Gene standing next to me, if ten Trekkies, uh, eight of which would still disagree with uh, with what uh, anything production had to say, even with Gene there. Um, and could possibly even tell Gene where Gene's wrong, where Star Trek's concerned. I, I, among them, when I was a younger kid and a younger fan. So I, I find all of that really very fascinating. And I wanted to know your take on how do you rectify occasionally where production had an intent and yet fandom ran in the other direction? Because that's fascinating to me. Well, as you spoke there, I had to th- my mind immediately went to the 47 page letter that we spotlighted from a fan in 1991 to Gene. <laughs> episode that's 14. Right. I always laugh at people that refer to Star Trek episodes by number because that's not what real people do. That's what TV shows do. But yeah. I will refer to our episodes by number because we don't have like, we have titles, <laughs> but they're boring titles. They're just the document is the title. Right, right. But yeah, episode 14 was the 40. I, I'm laughing. I'm using 47. <laughs> uh, the long lo- by the loving fan who nonetheless wanted to make his, you know, 4,700 points. Um, you know, the, you think, well, for one thing, what, ha- what is on paper is on paper. And unless there's some, you know, 50 year pending legal lawsuit hanging over something and there's a there's a you know moot order on it or whatever gag order uh everything is fair game and my approach whether i was writing you know early on writing in the the next generation companion whether i had access to a creative differences details or not i i never wanted to at least you know if i couldn't i would never be vanilla I would notice that there, I would note that there was a difference. Maybe I didn't have the details, but I would never try to gloss over something when it was when it was a major, you know, a major point or it affected. There were ripples effect, ripple effects. So, no, I, I when we go through the I mean, right now we're just getting started. And the things that it's just a lot of it's just catch as catch can. You're just on this box. There's maybe other boxes and other drawers over there where, you know, they've been, been at, at Roddenberry's has been scan, scanning documents for a long time. And a lot of them have been, you know, at, at the site for uh, in, um, in, the, in, the, in the 50th anniversary, a lot of pieces were out. But we're finding even more. And it's, some of it's like the 86 memo about the would-be premise for TNG. It just grabs you and you go, oh, my God. We've got to get this out to the world. Thankfully, that's not going to dry up anytime soon. But as far as, oh, this is going to cause problems with the fan base or whatever, that's that's just that's just more fodder to talk about. Uh, in the day, you know, we didn't have 24-7 social media. They got letters. Um, we've had glowing letters like the woman that wrote the morning after the side of paradise and said, finally, you got Spock <laughs> into a situation, um, which was precious because it was in the, the stamp and letter days, right? It wasn't an email. Um, so it is. So yeah, I, I don't, don't worry. We're going to be diving into as much of that as we can, but also, it's all good because it just lets you talk about what the parameters were. What was the landscape? What was, what was going on? And like I'm doing with my documentary, The Connor Wrath, it's a good way to say, wow, what has changed in fandom and the culture around us and what is exactly the same? John, I think what's my favorite, I I was just going to tag onto the back of that. My favorite thing is that here we are 50 years plus later and we can still learn new things about our favorite show. And that's the thing that blows my mind. I love it. And, and yeah, absolutely. You and John and the rest of the team, you guys keep up the good work. Cause I, I listen every week. I, I love this stuff. So thanks. John, I, I thank you for that. And I think to your yes. point, there, there are so many people going through these documents who are absolutely willing to 
contradict and counteract Gene and tell him where they thought he was wrong. <laughs> and yes. he, of course, uh, would write back long, very thorough comments about why he was right. And some of that parallels fan arguments today. So that that's always fascinating to see that that, that conversation has been long and ongoing. Right. And John Champion, you mentioned the bagpipes memo. Yeah. A lot of these papers, the context also is not just on the on the face of it, but where was Gene? Was Gene struggling to to resell a show? Was Gene struggling to stay on top of, you know, a tiger by the tail? Was Gene in the middle of production? Was Gene demoted and dethroned and trying to stay relevant? I mean, all of these different eras that we have access to are different aspects of his life and that's you know, you have to read that. You have to filter everything through that filter as well. There's something that always kind of drove me crazy. And I know that we've got some documents regarding Star Trek five. In fact, we have some handwritten mm-hmm. notes uh, that maybe <laughs> will come out in season two. I don't know. Um, but it, it always interested me that Gene was so adamant in his hatred for the development of Star Trek V because they dared to talk about God and religion and that this was going to turn off the audience. You can't release a movie about this. And I think, but, but, but Gene 20 years ago was the guy who was taking on the big issues like religion, uh, whether it was in who mourns or it was in uh, uh, even in the animated series. I mean, Come on, uh, how sharper than a serpent's tooth? Any of these things where he was attacking the big questions, the big issues. But then when he's not part of the production, other than <laughs> the honorary you know, producer emeritus, suddenly he's got a lot to say. Mm-hmm. And and telling them why they can't do what they're about to do. So, yeah, it, like you said, Larry, it's about the context of where he was. Um, let's get in Joe real quick. We have uh, another caller standing by patiently. Yep. Joe, hey, Joe. hey welcome. Hey, good. I hope you guys can hear me. Yeah, we sure can. Thanks, Loud for, and clear. Uh, thanks for waiting. Good. Hey, I had a uh, question and a few comments. One, I love trivia. Could keep Keep doing that. And I love the podcast so thank you thank you thank you Uh, sure thing the other thing too is what do you make of these rumors since we just did the poll on rumors of this mini series ratha con mini reboot that may be coming (laughs) like and also i guess at some point we might talk diversity are we going to actually see a non-white con (laughs) (laughs) interesting i mean it's it's pretty Mm -hmm. nuts so i had a question about that also uh, I have a uh, website podcast myself because you guys did yours called comic book spotlight. And we're branching out to doing a web show like yours called how it should have ended or where it should have ended, excuse me, where it should have ended. And we're doing star Trek, the original series. Uh, (laughs) I I don't want to get you guys opinion of where it should end because the argument that we have is, um, Star Trek six is kind of the end, but the characters carry over into the Abrams verse and are the Abrams verse characters. So maybe for another poll or something, but yeah, my, my main question is what is going on with this wrath of Khan reboot? And is it, ne- I won't say necessary, but how is this going to fit into anything that's going on? Uh, first of all, Ken should be your first guest on where it should have ended because yes. Ken, Ken is a master yes. of rewriting endings. Yes. So, uh, well, that well. would be for the how it should have ended podcast, not for the where it should have ended podcast because <laughs> I, I, you're I'm asking saying, about TOS, it should have ended right before Turnabout Intruder. Maybe before that, but definitely. I'm using all of this. Okay. I'm good. using yeah. all of this. Um, so I, I mean, knowing nothing about anything that's going on behind the scenes, the only thing that I can ever remember hearing about the con thing was when Nicholas Meyer was tied to discovery, then all of a sudden he wasn't tied to discovery anymore. One of the first things that we heard was there was going to be like a six story mini series that supposedly was going to be about con on SETI alpha five. I love con. I love Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. I cannot imagine being interested in watching five or six episodes about, oh, look, this planet's not so bad. Oh, look, this planet's terrible, right? Because you know it's going to end. It's going to end right before, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, not, I can't remember the show, that they, uh, the, uh, the Reliant. How could I not remember that? Right before The Reliant gets there, right? I mean, it can't go past that because we've seen past that. Well, you um, can see. 
you can see the the Reliant crew get captured. We never saw yeah. that. Who wants that? I mean, <laughs> honestly, if they were gonna do if they were gonna do con, I would love to see the eugenics wars. Honestly, I read. I think I read. I can't remember if I read both of those novels or if I just mm-hmm. read the first one. But I mean, that was sort of an interesting thing. To your other question, and it's a it's a good one. I, I know it was a joke question, but it's a good question. How do you put somebody not white? as Khan at this point because people will be like well Khan can be a guy from India <laughs> except he was you know but yeah, don't, don't try to mess me up with your you know facts about the uh, character's actual backstory um, yeah I don't know I mean it would be it's like everything that's coming out now right I personally have a oh let's see how this goes kind of thing but I, the last thing I heard I mean it sort of seems like CBS would like you to forget that the con thing was mentioned because I haven't heard a lot about it since. All right. Am I missing anything, John? No, it's about right. I mean, the, the rest of the news was around the, well, the rest of the rumors were around the uh, Patrick Stewart thing that mm-hmm. they sort of let slip that there might be some Star Trek in his future. And then the, the rumor mills went wild about what that would be. So um Yeah. Joe, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. The the news was actually released that, okay, they're working on something to do with Khan. And it sounded like it would fit in that in-between period between TOS and Wrath of Khan. I'm just picturing every episode has somebody coming up to Khan saying, is this SETI Alpha 5? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's really all I'd want out of it. That's actually how every episode should end. It should. It should, yeah. yeah. Is this City Alpha 5? Yeah. There'll be well, a guest star of the week. We'll wander in and say, is this that? And then Con will just go. <laughs> smiles, everyone. Smiles. Oh, nice. That's um, well, real quick. There are two, there's two levels to this, right? As much since a lot of that sourcing and those rumors, quote unquote, came from the two major trade papers, not Freddie's, you know, Starfleet Intelligence blog. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and some of those, the Starfleet Academy idea had names attached to it. Of which no one came out and said, that's not true. That's not true. Right. It's just like Washington reporting. Um, There's a there was there was an actual honest spectrum of here's an idea with names attached. Here's another idea that's been mentioned, the Nick Meyer Conwin. And here's one that we don't know. It's the fourth one and one that could be animated. And, you know, it was like a descending order. And then over here, the Patrick one. And I saw later on reporting from the UK, not just the US, that the Patrick one may be tied into animation, what may be the same thing as the animation idea. But whatever it is, there's two levels. There's the yes, go and because the I, I heard about the Nick Meyer um, project, a miniseries a year ago, and I had to keep my mouth shut. And then he leaked it himself, which I think, you know, if it's Khan and the Superman and they're adjusting on this plan, it, does ha- it, it can be a Star Trek with no rocket ships. It could be a very, you know, producible, not CGI, unless you want alien landscapes of what, City Alpha 5? Is this City Alpha 5? Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, it could, be, it could be a totally different tone using the Star Trek vibe. And Star Trek, for those who, oh, we can't have a, a big canon show because people would be overwhelmed by everything they have to know. You wouldn't have to know anything because this guy and his band of people have been left here and now they got to survive. And it's all the internal, you know, Walking Dead drama or whatever game game of thrones drama among them i can totally see it i might not be interested in it but i could totally see it being there and now it's been spilled a little bit but the two levels going on here are what's been commissioned to develop and then what actually gets made you know what gets made as a pilot and then what goes on from there so so all these things could very well be true but they we may never see the light of day past a memo and a script and 20 years from now we're looking (laughs) <laughs> we're looking at less's files or whatever yeah moon awesome. joe thank is. you very much thank you very much for uh, calling in tonight we really do appreciate it hey no problem thanks guys and do it again man plug everything i appreciate All it right. <laughs> good. Good to talk. lightning round is coming up in just a moment but first oh uh, larry by the way we're doing the lightning round so um i'm sure you've yeah. been well briefed so, yeah no, well, I'm, I'm from oklahoma i know about lightning um yeah we, we <laughs> Uh, we didn't talk do about you, that. I'm sorry. Do you know about <laughs> short answers, though? We'll find out in just a moment. <laughs> First, though, after the lightning round, after our show, stay on Facebook and catch the live recording of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Each Tuesday at 11 Eastern, 8 Pacific, Elijah, Kenna, and Anthony bring you news from all over the Star Trek multiverse 
TV and movie news, gaming news, literary reviews, plus a whole lot more, plus a whole lot more, plus a whole lot more. (laughs) They kick off a few minutes after our show every Tuesday night live on Facebook. So don't change. Okay. (laughs) Whatever you do, don't touch anything uh, except for the part where you would need to put in a different URL, facebook.com slash priority one podcast. That is where you will find their show, facebook.com slash priority one podcast or podcast.roddenberry.com. That's actually where you go to find all of the shows that are on uh, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. So, Larry, uh, you're familiar with the idea of a lightning round, even mm-hmm. if you didn't know that you were going to be hit by one tonight. I know you've got some stuff that you actually want to remind people about, so you're going to have to make your answers quick. I will. That's good motivation. Favorite Star Trek series? Jeez. Oh, I hate these. Uh, uh, Larry, you just tie between the original series and DS9. Okay. Tie between. Okay, okay, that's okay. fine. Okay. Fa- uh, okay. Favorite Star Trek bad guy? Shoot. Um, what have we been talking about? Con. Damn. Oh, oh, Commodore Decker. If you don't think of him as a bad guy. Ooh, oh, okay. interesting. Okay. Uh, favorite him. favorite beast from Star Trek. Favorite beast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we're talking about non-sentient, I guess. Um, that could be sentient. Yeah, you know what's interesting is the beast between uh, Picard and um, and Dathan in in uh, in, uh, in Jalad, except they weren't Jalad, and you know the the invisible ultraviolet uh, beast that attacked them and killed. Oh sure, Dathan. Okay. Yeah, oh, sure. the Tamarians. Okay. Yeah, on the on. Okay. Uh, All right, favorite I, holodeck. I, favorite holodeck character. Oh, favorite holiday character. Yeah. Um, oh, hell, Dixon Hill. Sure. That was, okay. That was okay. Well, wait a minute. Sorry. Well, no. He, well, he's actually not a holiday character. Oh, Madeline, I guess. Madeline. Okay. Madeline. Okay. Okay. Nice. Okay. 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 Uh, what's your favorite warp speed? Nine point nine 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 nine. Oh. And wow. and finally, it's infinity adjacent. Have you ever been to Vulcan, Alberta, Canada? No. This is the question I heard about. Somebody warned me about this one. I have never been. I was supposed to go one year and didn't. But I have been to Romulus, Oklahoma. Ooh. Wow. Far out. Ah. I I lived in Oklahoma for a while. I had no idea there was a Romulus, Oklahoma. There used to be a Romulus in Remus, but Remus dried up and blew away. But the gas station at Romulus is still there. Far out. Hey, somebody actually wrote in uh, earlier with a question for John wanting to get in on the lightning round action. Um, well, actually, I don't guess it was for John. Have you ever been to uh, Vulcan in Birmingham, Alabama? Not you, not you, Larry. This is for John. Because and, and Keith, I, Keith, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. I, the moon over Birmingham, the, the very fact that the Vulcan statue doesn't have pants so we were faced with that every time you drive up and down Red Mountain. I mean, come on. It, it's uh, it, you don't go to Birmingham without seeing Vulcan because it's it's all we've got, Keith. It's all we've got. <laughs> all right. So, Larry, uh, you've got a new update coming up for stellar cartography that you wanted to make sure that people knew about, because, I mean, you know, it was an amazing book before. And now it's updated. Yeah, I'm going to be very uncool here and show my iPad because I don't have the promotional it looks like the other box, except now there's uh, a purple in the corners. How you can tell. It's not as green. Oh. No, it's updated for the first season of Discovery. And as much of the original series that was somehow all the years of Jeff Mandel's book and then the first edition of Star Cartography that we realized was not there. So, yeah, it's got a huge update on several of the charts, the 10 big wall posters. It's all the same format. And chapters in the book have been updated. But the biggest thing is everything mentioned in Discovery as real history or as a place name, a star planet, is located. We even have Kelpia located uh, for those. So anyway, it's on pre-order. It won't be out until October 9th. But of course, in the pre-order world, please, everybody go over. I, I understand also that the original 2013 copies have gone up on Amazon. They've got crazy collector's prices. So here's a break. Uh, go pre-order at Amazon, everybody, and uh, get our tally up. So the more, the merrier, right? And we want more of this kind of outside-the-box uh, thinking in our nonfiction, so uh, in our Trek nonfiction. So, uh, uh, yeah. 
please go check it out. And if you've only bopped into Star Trek since the last you know three or four years, this is an awesome new product. You need to go get it. And it will unlock your meaning and understanding of um, discovery. We even have the mirror planets all there because, of course, it's in the, if it's in mirror, it's in prime. So everything sure. is there. Nice. And uh, very quickly, want to remind people that uh, Larry and Ken and I and a, a lot of other representatives of the Roddenberry Podcast Network, we have some appearances coming up. We will be at San Diego Comic-Con for the Roddenberry Presents panel. We will be at San Diego Comic-Con for Star Trek a fandom divided hosted mm-hmm. by Larry Nemechek. And then when we all go to STLV, we've got the landing party. We've got the Roddenberry panel. Uh, Larry, you have your own panels. There's so much coming up. I recommend that everybody go to facebook.com slash mission log pod. And Larry, your Facebook page, the best place for people to find you, Larry Nemechek's Trekland. Right. And they'll see all the listings for all the events. So please, please come out and see us at those I hate getting to the end of a show like this because our audience is no. the best. I, I didn't even have a chance to read through all the great story pitches that are coming in, like uh, Star Trek Cetacean Ops, Star Trek, the one with the puppy. There's just so much good uh, Walking Dead Trek. There's so much good stuff because our audience rules. And yet we've hit the end. Larry, I can't thank you enough. Uh, we'll do this again. OK, it's always fun, guys. Thanks. All right. Trek well. Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by Infinity Networks, producer Brandon Bradley. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, not just Mission Log Live, Women at War, Priority One, and oh yeah, The Trek Files. Thanks to everyone who joined us live or later, and we will talk to you again next week. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network